0: Well, how many of you are ready for this election process to be over? Yeah, a lot of us are. Most of us are ready for the TV ads uh, to end and the verbal grenades uh, that have been launched for those to end, and most Americans are frustrated, really, no matter what side uh, of this political process you're on. And uh, there are a number of us that, if we're honest this morning, we would admit that we are even a little bit fearful of what the eventual outcome might be of this election. And some of us would even say, uh, I certainly have said at times over the last year that we're embarrassed uh, by the process. Uh, Many of you, even if you're really honest this morning, would agree that you find yourself almost crippled and paralyzed uh, by what you're seeing and by what you're hearing, and you're not sure who to vote for, or uh, for some of us, Maybe you've even thought about the possibility of not even of voting. And while uh, many of us do our best to stay away from this whole political process, uh, from all the ruckus and the arguing and the fighting, there are some of you, some of us, that if we're really honest, we kind of like it, right? I mean, you, you, you kind of are the ones that kind of start the conversations at the lunch table or at the workplace. Come on, we know who you are. There are some of us that are here. This morning, we start the debate, and right up front this morning, I want to tell you that uh, we're not going to tell you who to vote for in this election. Uh, If you came this morning thinking, wow, we were going to get into something really super controversial today, that's not going to happen. We've resisted the temptation, in fact, uh, since the beginning of Northwest to spoon-feed you about politics. I don't believe that's my responsibility uh, as a pastor I don't believe that that's our responsibility as a church. What our responsibility is, is to teach you the ever-living, everlasting truths of the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And as you do that, then you take those principles and you take that into the voter booth, and I'm quite confident, based on the sovereign uh, will of God, that His will will be done in and through us as His followers. And we want you to do that with regards to this election. Now, uh, do you know what this is? This is a filter Some of you don't know what this is, and you should figure this out, all right? (laughs) Um, There's some stories I could tell uh, about this, but this is a filter. It's designed not to let certain things in uh, to our HVAC systems and to clean the air, to purify the air that comes through them. And we all have filters in our minds. Most pastors know this very well because after a sermon, it's not uncommon for us to get an email or a phone call and say, why did you say this or why did you not say this? And at times, I think we both have kind of looked at each other or looked at that person and thought, were you actually in that service? Uh, Did you actually listen? And it's because of our filters. We hear things the way that we want to hear them based on the filter of our mind. And we don't hear things that we don't want to hear based on the filters of our mind. And so today we want to ask for you to do this. Just for about 30 minutes, not forever, but for about 30 minutes, we want you to take your filter in your mind and we want you just to set it aside for just 30 minutes and allow yourself to be opened up to maybe some different thought. Why? Because all of us here this morning have made up our minds, for the most part, about Uh, what's on the front page uh, of every newspaper and every website and we assume that we know everything about every uh, candidate we know how the process works we know how we're supposed to respond and quite frankly that may not be true this morning and so today what we want to do is we want you to open your mind to the possibility that we don't know everything and possibly we might need to evaluate our response to the process, and how God might have us respond as followers of Jesus. Yeah,
1: awesome. And it is a a very tricky, touchy subject Um, when you start talking about politics. Many of us know this, and it's interesting to see the history of um, politics (coughs) in this country and how it's been divided for so many years. And, you know, historically you talk about you got the right which is really more of the more, uh, you know, conservative Republicans traditionally. And then you've got the left, right? Which is a little bit more of your liberal, mostly Democrats, or right and the left. And we thought it was interesting that, again, talking about these filters, many of you came in and you automatically know where you stand and you're going to hear everything through that filter. Well, uh, if you're a Republican, you would probably come up with some reasons why Jesus was clearly on the right and appreciated the right side of things no doubt i was hoping for an amen or something from like (laughs) our young republicans are like where's he going with this well we see in scripture that jesus was very fond of hanging out with the publicans
0: it's not much of a stretch
1: which is very close later came the republicans maybe no maybe not Uh, Jesus told Peter that if he wanted to catch fish, he had to throw his nets on where? The right side of the boat. (laughs) Clearly his favorite, John chapter 21, verse 6. And then, of course, you remember Matthew chapter 25 at that great parable about the sheep and the goats. It said, the goats on the left... And all of you blessed ones, the sheep on the right, from a Republican frame of mind, that's what you read, correct? And obviously their life verse is going to be Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 2, that says this, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Can I get an amen from anybody in here? Lots of you. Good. Now. Maybe you strolled in this morning and you are more on the left side of things. Maybe you're a registered Democrat and that's kind of the way you grew up or that's the conclusion that you come to. You've got some ideas and some illustrations from Scripture too, right? To defend your position, number one, uh, we need to recognize Jesus was a healthcare dispensing machine. All right, now let's be honest. He went from town to town and village to village, and it didn't matter who. He hung out with the poor and the disenfranchised, and they lined up big, long lines, and all the rich, wealthy people that didn't even need a doctor, he ignored them, really focused on dispensing health care at will to anyone who came asking, right? He didn't appreciate rich people as a matter of fact he despised many of them criticized them here you got Zacchaeus a rich man that had skimmed everything and cheated his way to the white collar top and he uh you know had to give away four times what he had taken to those who needed more you see the rich young ruler who Jesus said sell all you have and give it to the poor share everything right you even see a- Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 where the The idea is you come together with all of your wealth and and you share it and you disperse it amongst people that needed it. So clearly Jesus was a democrat and uh, very much on the liberal side of things, right? Amen to that, anybody? Amen. (laughs) A couple of you. Uh, And finally, maybe you rolled in and you're just kind of more of a libertarian or an independent, right? Maybe you want the freedom to just vote for whoever. I don't need to be locked into this two-party system. I want to do my own thing. Well, your passage of scripture, of course, is found in 2 Corinthians, (laughs) which says where the spirit of the Lord is, you know, there is liberty or there are libertarians. So maybe a creative translation of that, independence, freedom, I'm going to choose whoever I want. All right. Have I successfully offended just about everybody in here? Did I cover everyone? Okay. Cool. Well, that was the point of it. Obviously, we all come from different perspectives and there is no right answer and our goal today is to give you a lot of scripture and a lot of concepts to help you filter through before God uh, what you should do what our uh, reaction should be and that's what I want to share just a couple of brief scriptures about what should our reaction be when we see all of this stuff coming down in our culture what should our reaction be The first one is do not be afraid because God is in control. Can I get an amen to that? I think collectively we all just need to take a deep breath. As a matter of fact, let's do that right now. Just inhale. And exhale. No, this is not yoga. Don't worry. We all just need to take a deep breath and recognize present circumstances notwithstanding God is in control passage of scripture from 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 are not the most encouraging right here's what it says Uh, Paul's writing to Timothy says understand this in the last days there will come times of difficulty we're going through that right now right it says people will be lovers of self lovers of money Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And I'll tell you what, as you look over the election landscape and you look at our country and you look at the direction that we're headed, you can see those characteristics are popping up at every every corner. And Paul says, don't be surprised. Um, Things are going to get worse. These are going to be perilous, dangerous days. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 12 of that same chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says, Indeed, all who desire ...to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So the breath of air, uh, the breath of fresh air comes not from... ...oh everything is going to be fine and peaceful moving ahead. We need to recognize that unfortunately things are going to get worse... And in a very real way, for the last 200, 250 years, we here in America, represented by all these flags in this country that we love, we have been an unbelievably privileged nation that has been very centered on the word of God and morality, Uh, you know, and you see all these things up until probably the 50s and 60s and 70s when culture really started to shift. But the relief comes from recognizing that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus lived and when the early church flourished, they had nothing even like we have right now at this moment. They were under a tyrannical government, Roman government, and they were persecuted even when Paul was writing this letter. He was writing it from prison for his faith, for speaking out, freedom of speech. And if you really think about it, The early church, what we see here in the book of Acts, the way the church absolutely exploded, the way believers' faith became a reality, the way the world was turned upside down was because of government persecution and difficulty and trials. And I've been enough around to other parts of the world to talk to believers there who don't have all of the freedoms that we have That, as a matter of fact, they pray in America that the church would become stronger. And the prayer is, by any means possible, oh God, and by the means that it looks like we're headed, is difficulty, persecution, more and more and more. That's how the early church was strengthened. When it was scattered out of Jerusalem, the first 50 years uh, in, in the early part of the church, that's how the message spread. And that's how ultimately the world was changed. And right around 312 AD when Constantine was converted to Christianity and later on when he made it the official religion of Rome, guess what? When now the government came in to regulate and to demand that people become believers and this is the official religion, now the government is the one in charge, that's where you see corruption and despair spiritual laziness and uh, hypocritical attitudes crept in. The purity of the church was when things were hard. And I wonder if we took that attitude when we think about what's going on in our present political landscape. Think about this first: Psalm chapter 22, verse 28 talk about the sovereignty of God, it says, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. No matter what happens, no matter who gets elected, we cannot simply rely on our government to be the one that is going to sustain morality. We know that God is the one in control, but we also know that he has placed us here to make a difference as a matter of fact Peter writes this in 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 13 to 17 he says this the command says this so be subject for the lord's sake to every human institution whether it be the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good for this is the will of god That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So live as people who are free. Using your freedom not as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then listen to these four phrases he says. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. So what if we looked at our situation from this lens? That perhaps the more difficult the political environment and culture becomes, the force for good that is the church will stand out all the more. The second thing to remember is don't be confused. God has been there before. How often do we forget about this, right? Oh my goodness, what's going on? Everything's so out of control when we think about the context, again, of 2,000 years ago. And even beyond that, the early saints and and, and, uh, throughout the history of God's people, there have been many, many times where people way worse than the two candidates that we presently have, or independent, you understand what I'm saying, but way worse than those two, right? And yet God used individuals that stood up for what was right and whose heart was fully immediate example that comes to mind is Daniel in the book of Daniel Daniel he upheld God's law uh, even though um, you know the laws of the government were do not pray out loud to anyone else outside of Nebuchadnezzar uh, or, or King Darius and yet he did that anyway and God protected him and as a matter of fact God blessed him so much so that he was actually part he was in authority there and used by God, even in an (laughs) evil regime, to bring glory back to him. So our reaction, do not be afraid, have confidence, God has been there
0: before. Yeah, and so the question comes up, even though we know all those things are true, the next question that comes up is, obviously, what is our responsibility, right? Um, Many of us have asked that question, what should I do? I've had Uh, People message me on Facebook. People pull me along uh, and say, well, what what should I do? What are you going to do? And um, I'm not going to tell you, Uh, collectively anyway. um, I have individual conversations with people, but I've asked myself that question. What should I do? How should I respond? I think it's critical for us this morning to understand this very simple biblical principle, but it, it is so huge, I believe, in this context, Are you ready for it? It's this. We are Jesus followers first and American citizens somewhere secondarily to where our citizenship is in heaven. I hope that you understand that. We are not above all else Americans first. We are citizens in heaven. In fact, scripture makes it very clear that we are aliens. We're strangers down here. It shouldn't be surprising to us that sometimes we feel uncomfortable with the climate that is around us. You know, we live in an age of uh, pragmatism. The question about uh, religion and philosophy is not whether or not it's true, but actually whether or not it works. People want to know if Christianity can make a difference in their lives. And Paul wrote a letter to the church at Colossae. Uh, In in the book of Colossians, if you have your Bible there, you can turn and look in Colossians uh, chapter 4. Paul wrote these words in verses 2 to 6, and they're just as relevant for followers of Jesus today as they were for the Colossians living 2,000 years ago. He wrote this, "...continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word of God to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And then Paul wrote these words, and I want to focus here for just a moment. He said this, walk, in other words, live your life in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Here's number one. Number one is that we need to be a people of influence. We have to be a people of influence. If for no other reason we have been left on this planet to be people of influence. That's what the Great Commission was all about. You're to be witnesses. You're to to go to the ends of the earth and you're supposed to tell other people about the good news of the gospel. We are to have influence. I want to remind you of two very simple ways in which we can have influence in our relationships. It's by the way that we live and by the way that we talk. Paul said, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. What Christians are then gives credibility to what we say. The reason why so many of us have no credibility in what we say, it's because of the way that we live our lives. Now, here's where you got to take the filter aside for just a little bit, and let me say this to you. I found myself being critical and judgmental of politicians and of other people who are not followers of Jesus, and then at times excusing my own behavior or the behavior of brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, verse 17, for it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. We, my friends, ought to be held to the highest standards of what we watch with our eyes, what we speak with our lips. There's something that's gone terribly wrong in a culture where we have expectations of politicians, and then we excuse our own behavior? Why do we tolerate crude language and immorality in the movies that we watch, or the TV shows that we watch? And yet we have such disgust for some of that same behavior in the lives of others. Why do we justify Uh, Not telling the whole truth in certain situations and yet expect others to live by a higher standard who don't even name the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Don't allow yourself to hold those who are not followers of Jesus to a biblical standard while not living consistently yourself as a follower of Jesus. Now, I know that's very hard for some of us to hear because immediately you want to to kind of shout out to me, well, you're justifying the behavior of... I'm not justifying anybody's behavior, but nor should we justify our behavior. We should live by the standard by which we want to uphold others too. Consistency of life then has to be followed by consistency of speech. Paul said, let your speech or your talk Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you can know how you ought to answer each person. And Paul here, by the way, is not talking about preaching the gospel, but he's talking about the general conversation that we have with one another. There's no place for words that characterize those that have not been redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our words should not be characterized by those same words. Whether we're undergoing uh, stress or difficulty or injustice, whether we're with a coworker, whether we're with our family members, believers or unbelievers, in all circumstances, it's imperative that we be gracious in our speech. And to speak with grace means to say what is wholesome, what is kind, what's sensitive, what's purposeful, what's complimentary, what's gentle, what's truthful, what's loving, and what's thoughtful. Uh, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, let no corrupting talk come from your mouths, but only such it is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so the speech of a follower of Jesus has to be seasoned. In fact, the text here says that it's seasoned with salt. And salt can be rubbed into a wound and it can be very hurtful. But salt also has an opportunity to prevent corruption. Think about this. Our words should act as a purifying influence in this particular climate that we are in. We should rescue conversations from the filth that so often engulfs them from the gossip that sometimes is so prevalent. Salt adds a, a flavor in the speech of a Christ follower, I believe, should add charm and should add wit to a conversation. I believe that even in these conversations there, as Jerry demonstrated a few moments ago, there's humor to be had sometimes too. And that brings somebody to ease. That's what the speech of a believer ought to look like. We also ought to know how to respond to each other. We have to say the right thing at the right time. Peter went on to say in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, "But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you." Yet we do it how? If you're familiar with that verse. We do it with gentleness, and we do it with what? We do it with respect. And so how do we do that in this election season with all the division, all the difficulties uh, of the issues, all the differences of opinion, the deeply passionate positions on the issues. How do we as Christ followers use our words for the greatest impact and the greatest influence? For, uh, for many of us, our influence, uh, it's unfortunate, but it's limited to our tweets and to our Facebook posts, right? That's our influence. That's where we have influence. Now, some people would never get up on a stage like this and talk in front of several hundred people but boy when you're behind that computer screen when you get that smartphone out man are you a bastion of wisdom and most of us that's how our influence is limited it's limited by what we can tweet and what we can post and I'm not necessarily saying that that is a bad thing but can I suggest to you this morning that most of us should probably spend less time on social media and more time in relationships that are real, relationships that are face-to-face. And so whether we have influence on social media or in our ordinary relationships, I want to give you two reminders. Number one is to give space, to give space. You're going to have to do that even with people that are here in our fellowship at Northwest. You've got to give people space for people to disagree and recognize that people arrive at different conclusions in a reasonable way even if ultimately you think they are dead wrong and I guarantee you there's none of you that are more type A than I am this morning when I am convinced of an opinion when I'm convinced of a position but we have to give space secondly we have to show grace we have to show grace when others come to a different conclusion than we do we have to be careful to show grace You may not feel that they deserve grace because of the stupid, idiotic opinion that they have come to. How could a reasonable person ever arrive here? I've seen it on Facebook just this week. And you may say, hey, I'm a giver of grace, but you, my friend, do not deserve grace. (laughs) Here's the point. That is the whole point of the word grace, is it not? The whole point of grace is Uh, That we show favor to a person who has done nothing in our minds to deserve it. We show grace to the person that annoys us, that angers us, that disappoints us. We extend grace to others, listen to me, as grace has been extended to us. We give space, we show grace. And maybe it's best for us to simply ask questions rather than make statements. Can I suggest a few that I heard a pastor recently give his fellowship? Asking questions like this when you're interacting with people or when you see that Facebook post that really annoys you and immediately you have the best response to that. You have a response that nobody else has ever thought of. It's just you. And you want to get it out there so that people can recognize the truth. When you find yourself in that situation, ask some questions, such as, number one, what led you to that view? You know, I'm amazed, Jerry, I think you'd say the same thing, that when we have conversations with people trying to understand where they are to try to help them, sometimes that in and of itself is the greatest question to ask. What led you to this place that you're in? And sometimes when you hear somebody's story, you understand a lot more what leads them to that position. Can I go off script a little bit just for just a moment? And no. I probably shouldn't, I know. <laughs> it's very dangerous. I told Jerry I was going to stick to my script. I think I've had a tendency to do that when I look at some of the issues related to Black Lives Matter, for instance. And for us to come to the conclusion and say, well, this is America, and of course in America, all lives matter. Until you walk in the shoes of some of our African-American brothers and sisters. My relationship with Pastor Tyner down on White Oak Church Road has helped me tremendously in this particular area. I don't understand all the issues. I don't even agree with all the different positions. But when I ask the question, what led you to that view? it leads me to a little different understanding. Number two, have you always held that view? Have you always voted that particular way? Sometimes we find that based on the circumstances in some people's lives, they haven't always been there. There was an event that led them to that view. Here's another one it's a little more provocative. Have you ever met him or her? How about that? When somebody is ranting on and on and on about their particular candidate, have you ever actually met them? Have you actually had a conversation with them? And, and how about following up with a statement like this? I get most of my information from the media, how about you? Now think about the ramifications of that question. It's true, by the way, for each one of us, isn't it? Most of us do not have a personal knowledge of any of the candidates, whether it's on a national stage or even, in some cases, on a local stage, and so to ask the question and get people to understand that most of us get our information from the media, and so therefore... All of us probably have some wrong information. Can we agree to that? So sometimes asking some of those questions is very uh, important. Should you have an opinion? Absolutely. Should you argue your opinion? Yes, sometimes. But you do it with gentleness and respect. And here's what I want to end my time with this morning is never make a point to the detriment of your influence. In case you missed that let me say it again never make a point to the detriment of your influence and by the way we could learn a lot about that in politics we could learn a lot about that in the workplace we could learn a lot about that as parents in the home making a point to the detriment of our influence never give up influence unnecessarily don't jeopardize a relationship just so somebody you make sure that somebody hears your opinion I believe that as followers of Jesus, we should be the most confident, we should be the most curious, we should be the most composed, we should be the most compassionate people uh, that uh, are in the room or that are online, that are on Facebook. And here's why. Because we know the end of the story, and we know who ultimately is in control. And that ought to give you composure. Mm -hmm. That ought to give you gentleness. That ought to give you respect. And as believers... I believe we should echo the prayer of the psalmist who said in Psalm 143, verse 3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips.
1: That's good. Um, I just want to just kind of close our time uh, here as we, as we lean towards the closing with uh, just a, a concept here about, um, you know, our responsibility is not just to influence, but it's also to pray. To wholeheartedly, honestly, and fervently pray for our country. Um, Reminded that, you know, even in the life of Jesus, even with his disciples, as we're so excited starting next week to do this five-week series on discipleship. What does that mean? What does that look like? Just a reminder that as Jesus came on the scene as a rabbi who called people to follow him. Uh, the disciples were almost all universally fully convinced that Jesus was the messiah meaning he was going to overthrow the government of Rome and retake uh, the nation of Israel and he would be their king. It was very much a political flavor One of the main reasons that they followed him. Yes, there's going to be healing. Yes, there's going to be peace. Yes, and Jesus talked all the time in kingdom talk, right? He said, well, you see what's going on now, but the kingdom of heaven is like this. And when I am in the kingdom, this is going to happen. You remember the disciples were like, all right, Jesus, when you set up your kingdom, can I sit on your right and one on your left? And they were really picturing this was going to be a physical kingdom where all of this government tyranny uh, would be thrown out. And finally we would have Jesus as the Messiah and the ruler in a political, physical, concrete way. That's what they were thinking. But obviously Jesus was speaking in more heavenly terms, right? And that's what we just want to close with, the idea that we need to understand our true citizenship, as Brian mentioned. First Peter chapter 2 um, verses 9 through 12 really remind us of this. It says this, "But you. ...are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession... ...that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people of God, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." So the idea that our home is not here, but our job here uh, is one to make a difference, to be a light to society. But I just want to challenge us here this morning as we're closing that there are two incredible institutions that God created whereby this was going to happen. And it is the church and it is the family. It is not the United States of America. That wasn't one of God's institutions from the beginning of time. We've enjoyed such freedom. We've enjoyed a wealth of Christian influence and it's been incredible. It's been an amazing ride, but our hope does not ride on our government. But at the same time, we need to pray fervently and we need to reflect internally into our homes and into our church and recognize that this is what God has created for our light to shine forth. Make the most of the time. That we have right now. I love um, uh, the passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1 uh, through 3. And we'll just close with this. Um, Paul again writing um, to Timothy says this. First of all then I urge that supplications and prayers. And intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. This is good and this is pleasing in the sight of our Savior. So that's our command, to pray for our government, uh, to pray that these freedoms would be uh, sustained, but that we would be strengthened and that we, we would be able to, as the church and as families, be a strong influence no matter what is going on around us. There's an incredible amount that's at stake in this election and I want to read to you as we close a quote from a theologian and author. His name's Wayne Grudem. Here's what he says He says, There are enormous differences between the candidates and the two parties, differences that I still think have great significance. The differences concern not only the Supreme Court, but also religious freedom, abortion, gender identity regulations, rebuilding our military, protecting us from radical Islamic terrorism securing our borders, supporting Israel, reducing taxes and regulations so the economy will grow and create jobs, increasing school choice, reforming health care, allowing wise use of all forms of energy, reducing racial animosities, and many, many other issues. These differences will determine the kind of nation we leave for our children and grandchildren. There's an incredible amount at stake. And as we close, I just want to enter into just a couple of minutes here where we can um, take the time to actually obey what, what Paul commanded for all of us and to take some time in silence. Or perhaps if you're right next to somebody, you can pray quietly with them. But to pray for us as a church, to pray for our families, to pray for our nation, and to pray for God's sovereignty um, to reign supreme and that it would begin with with us as individuals. So I'm gonna ask Tyler and the band to go ahead and come out, and I want us all just to to bow our heads and to close our eyes, and again, if there's someone next to you that that you already know and it's not weird, I would encourage you to go ahead and pray with them, um, just softly. And I just wanna enter into (coughs) a couple of holy moments here. Before we respond to God with two songs, one of thanksgiving, as was commanded, and in uh, one of just recognition of God's sovereignty. But as a people and as a, uh, a believing group here, if you're a Christian here this morning, I just want us to focus our thoughts and attention on the things of God and pour out our hearts before Him. Let's pray together. And you weren't expecting it. But Father, now I just pray for our people here that love Him. Lord, I pray that this would be a time of strengthening what remains. And Lord, although we know the end, we know that things are going to get worse, God, we know that there still is hope and that you've created your church, strengthened your church for a time like this, for us to be a light and to be salt and to come to the aid and the rescue of those who are hurting and to give hope to so many others that are hopeless so Lord I just pray truly that you would lead us and guide us and guide this land God no matter what happens here in November we know that you have set aside those that know you in high positions Lord you've given them an influence like Daniel, like Joseph like so many others even though the administration may be godless at times or seem that way You have put some of your servants there. Lord, I pray that they would be strong, that they would be bold. Yes, God, we love you and we love our country. So, Lord, help us to know what to do. We seek you, God, and we thank you for allowing us to live here at a time like this. We love you, God.